You're watching Global Trade This Week with Pete Mento and Doug Draper. All right, 321 Global Trade This Week is coming at you. We want to thank you for listening and being part of our show. I am one of your hosts, Doug Draper. I'm out in Denver, Colorado, and uh, my partner in crime, who just came back from a lovely uh, stint in New Orleans, is uh, recuperating lovely in the great state of New Hampshire, Mr. Pete Mento. Yeah, Pete, what's up, buddy? I don't know where the hell I am, Doug. I think we should just be <laughs> fair to, to everybody watching today. Like, I've, I've often wondered how do people on on TV, on Fox and stuff, they just get up and like, hey, everybody, it's 3 a.m. And Or the guys on CNN or BBC or whatever. And I think it's because they probably go to bed at like 4 in the afternoon. But um, yeah. I just got back from Mardi Gras, and I'm tired. And I'm tired, Doug, because I'm old. And I think it's, I think it's okay for me to own that, buddy. Yeah. So. Uh, well, I, I would say that that uh, painting behind you, over your right shoulder, of uh, people are dancing, yeah. and then one guy's flat on his back, and yeah. the other guy's squinching. That, that's the evolution of you in the course of your time in New Orleans. You, you can laugh, pal, but that is that sure. is generally accurate. I uh, I I got down there, and we had one night to ourselves before you know um, our youngest son showed up, and. Um, we had fun, but we didn't do anything nuts. I went out with a buddy of mine I played rugby with, and you know, there's this stupid decision where you're like, "Hey, let's let's start doing shots of Jaeger," and you're like, "Yeah, yeah, that sounds like a perfectly reasonable decision to make." And um, and then you know, you're arguing with the hotel security because you can't remember what floor your hotel room's on, getting into fist fights yeah. with people who are just trying to sell you jambalaya. I don't know. And then and then you know, you, you don't sleep in late because you. You got all kinds of stuff you got to be at, things you got to do, and it just stays on top of itself. So when I was even just 40, just, you know, 40, this is a walk mm. in the park. Now the park walks on me. So it's mm -hmm. just kind of how it is, man. Yeah. Yeah. Perpetual. All right. Well, that being said, we have a couple of, or uh, a couple each, so four good topics to hammer through. So yes. let's just uh, get this party started. Pete, why don't yeah. you jump in? Yeah, speaking of out-of-town parties, so the uh, the biggest out-of-town party for, I guess I'd say the ocean side of our industry is happening right now out in beautiful, I mean, pristine, just gorgeous Long Beach, uh, California. And I'm starting to wonder why they still do it in Long Beach because, you know, the East Coast has all the freight now, Doug. So mm -hmm. shouldn't, we, shouldn't we do this somewhere in New Jersey? Like, shouldn't they all be in Hoboken? At this point, uh, but TPM is this week. It's brought to us by the wonderful people at Journal of Commerce who do an incredible job aggregating all that information. But what's what's bumming me out is I, I didn't go this year, and I love going to TPM because it it's the rumor mill, pal. It's every little thing that you hear about. It's um, who's doing what, who's positioning themselves. Did you hear so and so was talking to someone? This CEO was talking to the CEO. I'm telling you right now, someone's gonna, someone's buying them. You know, it's it's just, it, it's like a like a seventh grade lunchroom for four or five days, filled just alcohol fueled stupidity on top of it. And I know that's probably not going to be very, um, very, very popular with our good friends at the JOC. But let's just call it what it is. If you get thousands of people in the logistics industry together in an area surrounded by bars going to be a bit of drinking, Doug. It's just kind of mm -hmm. how that works. So, you know, I'm wondering what kind of things we're going to hear at a TPM this year. One thing is I think we're going to hear that the rates, the 
the, the ocean carriers are beginning to break away from one another on maintaining certain costs. I think we're going to hear that first. I think that's probably the first and um, most likely thing we'll hear. I think second of all, the, the mad rush for um, mergers and acquisitions has greatly slowed down. And I think that what I would love to have seen was the kind of partying we saw at TPM last year when everybody was just rolling in cash. I don't think we're going to see it this year. It'll still be there, but you know, mm-hmm. freight forwarders taking entire roof tech bars and, and, you know, hiring, like, I don't I think someone hired too short or someone or Snoop Dogg or whatever. I don't know. Um, that's just not going to happen this year as shareholders are going to be a little bit more observant about what's going on with these logistics firms. So I cannot wait, Doug. I actually just put something on LinkedIn that said, as you start to hear rumors, please let us all know. And uh, that's just where I'm at, man. I'm fired up to hear more about TPM. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because, like you said, it's uh, one extreme. Last year, it was just, you know, parties left and right and, and lots of money. And, um, and and it was crazy. You know, I was thinking that this year, <clears throat> just in general, you know, the whole concept of negotiating the ocean freight, the one thing that um, the craziness in the last two and a half years with the supply chain is COVID exploited the volatility. Um, you know, they talk about how COVID was an accelerator for different things. We talk, we've all heard about that. But I think that it was a, it was an accelerator of how volatile the ocean freight business can be yeah. and how dramatic the pricing uh, fluctuations are. And it's almost, um, I, I, I think it's been, my take is the baseline has been set and we're going to see more, maybe not quite as wild swings from what we saw in the pandemic with the cost of ocean containers coming in the West Coast. But I don't think it's going to be ever as stable as it used to be. Um, it's going to be more like playing, you know, um, uh, the stock market a little bit more. And and you, as a, uh, a purchaser of these services, not you, Pete, specifically, but just as a purchaser, you got to really almost think of this as, you know, to, you know Tony Two-Shoes or somebody, some traders in the pit that need to have their act together and really understand that this is, you know, uh, no pun intended, an ocean that never stops moving, the complexity of the cost and the structures of how that happens, and just the nuances of how the economy and the global uh, trade network can just exasperate these, these, these fees and these charges. So I would agree with you. I, I could see we saw skyrocketing charges uh, for, for containers last year. I could see something similar on the complete opposite end of the spectrum uh, to the point where it's like, what? I, I can't even believe that that, uh, yeah. that 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 just happened. So my point in this one, Pete, is I think the volatility is here to stay. And uh, you need to know how to play the game or you're going to get burned probably more so than ever. Agreed wholeheartedly. Uh, I had a friend of mine who's from Boston I was talking to earlier, a different conversation altogether about this. And he said, everyone rode this big, massive wave, you know, it just came crashing in and you didn't have mm-hmm. to work that hard. Just all that momentum just made money for everyone. But then when that wave goes back, what happens? It's like all the little birds come in and start picking at the water until the wave comes back again. It's like, uh, you know, the crabs all come out and try to find a piece of fish that was left on the shore. It's going to be like that again there's global trade is at a point now where yes, the volumes are growing, but a lot of that volume is captured. So people who are trying to get what's left, it's going to be pretty ugly um, fighting uh, one another to try to get some of that volume. But, but like I said, I got a feeling next week we'll be talking about rumors out of long beach. Hmm. That might be number one. 
on uh, Pete's list. So we'll see about that. But yeah, I'm just excited to hear what comes out of it, pal. Be careful I, out there, everybody. Be careful. Yeah. Act your age. Yeah, not your shoe size. Um, so, Pete, here's mine. We're shifting. The beauty of the show is that our topics are so just uh, different. It, it really mm-hmm. allows a, a broad audience to, to jump in. So mine that caught my attention the other day, I can't remember what I was reading, but it was related to uh, greenwashing um, and it greenwashing of the supply chain in general. And greenwashing basically involves, you know, making an unsubstantiated claim um, of how your ESG uh, approach or things that you're doing are benefiting um, uh, the environment, and in actuality, you may be spending more money promoting it than actually doing it. So I, I think that there is quite a bit. This is me personal. I think there are companies out there that are doing an excellent job of embracing ESG, which is important in the supply chain from point A to point B. And I think there's a lot of companies that are just kind of uh, uh, throwing up a big spotlight and trying to tell a good story and, and may not be really doing a whole lot, uh, but will be but other than drawing a lot of attention uh, to, to their efforts. So I think the greenwashing uh, is happening a little bit as we speak right now. But, you know, what? It, it's going to it's going to get uh, it'll shake itself out. You know, so greenwashing examples, Pete, and then I'll kind of wrap this one up. You remember when VW had the whole cheating emission yeah. standards when they said that diesel was was uh, I forget that the emissions were phenomenal and it was impacting and helping out. And that was kind of a bust. And then when I was doing research on that, I didn't re- realize this one, but the McDonald's paper straws that they hyped up um, couldn't even be recycled because of the type of paper it was, was wouldn't break down correctly. So uh, that was kind of unintentional. I'm sure McDonald's wanted to do the right thing, uh, but didn't really think that one through. So here's the deal. ESG is becoming more commonplace. Uh, vendors and services are are, are uh, vendors and service providers uh, and companies uh, are requiring it, demanding it. Um, and I think some of the providers will continue to spin uh, for a while. But eventually it's all based on numbers and statistics. And what are you doing to improve, uh, you know, your your carbon footprint? Absolutely. So um, it'll all shake out eventually. Um, you know, the carbon footprint is very quantifiable if that's what you want to go at, how much solar you use and how many offsets there are. So there's kind of some fuzzy math going on out there. And I think that there may be some bad uh, press that the supply chain is getting related to their green initiatives, but it'll all shake out. Give it another year and, and people will validate the numbers and go from there. And you will see some honest to goodness companies engaging and doing the right thing for our environment and moving forward. But my point in this one, Pete, is it's kind of this gray area and let's call this, you know, ESG and we're doing the right thing, but maybe we aren't, but let's just promote it anyway. Um, all that will shake out in the next year and we'll really see who the players are in this industry that support, uh, you know, sustainability uh, within our industry. Hell yeah, bud. Um, you know, I'll be very frank. When I saw the, gr- the greenwashing of our industry, I had to take a minute and really think about, think it through. You know, I had to, you got me on that one. I had to do a little research to understand the term, but um, once I started reading it and, you know, you've done an excellent job of pointing out that it's just too easy to um, let's just, let's just call shape statistics in order to give you the outcome that you want in this particular area. There is no international standard. There's no international standard. So a great thing that we're already being warned about is 
companies who are going to claim that their carbon footprint is being worked on and doing better because they're not moving as much truckload ocean and air freight. Well, of course you're not. Your volumes are half of what they were a year ago. So you can't claim that that's your company doing incredible things for the environment when in reality, it's just that your business is down. So I'm very weary of any claims like that. Uh, the second thing that I'm going to add along to that is any little thing now makes someone look like a hero in the supply chain. Any little, any little the tiny thing that we do to, to green it up. It's about consumption, man. It's about consumption. It's about the piles and piles of worthless imported crap that all of us just feel the need to consume. And until that model changes, this is kind of a pointless exercise. The, the problem is consumption. It's not how much fuel we push through the supply chain. It's the fact the supply chain has to back up and cover all of this consumption. And that's scary, buddy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that brings us to halftime. As our audience knows, it's brought to this whole show. It's brought to not only Keenan, who's pushing the buttons up at uh, 10,000 feet today up in the uh, mountains of Breckenridge, Colorado, but um, Cap Logistics, we wouldn't be here talking to you without their support. So uh, visit caplogistics.com uh, for your uh, supply chain and transportation needs. Pete, this is my favorite time because we can just talk about whatever the heck we want. So um, yeah. <laughs> go, you start, you start. I, I, so we have, a, we have a new airport in New Orleans, right? And I woke up and I, I'm, I'm going through the news in the morning and one of the news stories that sent to me is some, somebody tried to get through New Orleans airport. I think it was on Sunday or Saturday, Saturday with a fully loaded AR 15 <laughs> and 162 rounds of ammunition in their carry on. Not like, not like, Hey, Hey, I'm going to check this and take it boar hunting. No, no, no. Somebody said, you know what I'm going to do with my gun? I'm going to go through TSA with it and I'm going to put it in the overhead bin because that seems like the smart thing to do. Um, and then you get to that airport and there are pictures everywhere of guns that TSA has found in people's carry-on. And the amount of, of guns and hammers and knives and you name it, man. You know, I mean, honest to God, weaponry that people find in bags because someone just forgot is alarming. So um, mm -hmm. I've, I've got a pretty old, weak mind, buddy. But I've never forgotten where I happen to have a gun. Um, now watch me forget. But I've never forgotten, you know, that I had a gun in my laptop bag. But my God, man, just stupid. Just stupid. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I heard, or I don't think, I did hear that 2022, that um, TSA confiscated the most guns ever, which uh, it, it's either fright. So here's the deal, Pete. There are guns getting through. There are people on airplanes that have gone through TSA that have a, yeah. a weapon in the cabin of an airplane. Guarantee yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Somebody uh, got through that screening. You're absolutely right. Yeah. It's nuts. So anyway, so uh, got, my, buddy? yeah, yeah, for sure. So I was trying to think of a funny title. You know how I like to come up with these things, but so this one, it says uh, balloon smashing is not just a G thing, Pete. And a G thing means a government thing. So I, I read that there was this art show in Miami over the weekend super high society art that you and I would look at and be like, how much did that guy get paid to throw paint on a wall? Well, there was this gentleman that created an exhibit of a balloon dog. It was like a 15 foot dog made of balloons and it was valued at $42,000. And you know what happened? A patron touched the balloon 
it broke into thousands of pieces and was completely demolished. So um, it turns out that that piece of art had insurance on it. Um, so I think they're going to be in okay shape. And here's the better thing is this artist makes uh, balloon dogs uh, all over um, the world. And oh, by the way, Balloon Dog, uh, that's the name of our new band that we can start. Um, but here's the good news. There's one less Balloon Dog in the world. So really the value of all Balloon Dogs across uh, across this guy's uh, uh, um, portfolio have just increased in value. So so maybe smashing a, uh, a Balloon Dog piece of artwork is a good thing. Um, at least that's what the government tells us. So now you started a conspiracy theory, Doug, that this guy did all this in order to get the insurance money. I hope yeah. you're satisfied with yourself. Um, yeah, I, I, if I got to talk more about spy balloons, I mean, I, I put something up on LinkedIn a couple of days ago, an entire government server, an entire government server that held all the applications for anyone trying to get into the military for like the past five years. All the emails from SOCOM to the DOD was all completely open, completely open, no password to it. And it took somebody in the press to point that out to the Department of Defense. So, you know, you don't have to put a balloon over us. You can just look into our emails to figure stuff out. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah enough, enough balloon talk. Although, you know, what's going to happen is this, this Halloween, there's going to be people who go as Chinese spy balloons. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you're right. Yeah, and it, you're right. It, I don't know if it'll be too far down because Halloween, what is that? That's still like uh, eight months oh, away. Yeah, it's a while from now. But, but still, you'd laugh and be like, oh, I get it. You're a Chinese spy balloon. Oh, look, another one. Okay, this isn't funny anymore. There's nine yeah. of them. You know, it's like all the people yeah. I saw in New Orleans that their costume was being dressed as George Santos. That was funny, like the first half the time I saw it. And I just like, yeah. you're just a lazy costume guy. Go put on something smarter, you knucklehead. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, all right. Who's up? You or me? Me. me. I'm up. I'm up. So, right. read a couple of great articles this morning about how wait times and delivery times from the time the aircraft lands at U.S. airports until it's made available, continue to go up. And they they speculated on a bunch of different reasons. One was lack of people. You know, it's it's not easy to find luggage handlers, baggage handlers, cargo handlers. That was a big part of it. Um, and the second is that you've just got so much volume going through places where people weren't trained and that the technology has not kept up with cargo volumes. I thought that was really interesting. So I started deep diving on this and I started to really, you know, think even more about it. This is a great example of what is right and what is wrong with cooperation in international logistics. And I'll give you a great example of that. Air cargo is managed and handled by the carrier. And there is very little that's done about data sharing across air carriers. And there's very little done about sharing the load and the work. So you and I, Doug, great example of cooperation at the New Orleans Louis Armstrong Airport, right? You show up, or any airport, pretty much. doesn't matter who we're flying on. We all go through the same security. Same security line, and it's managed by the government or by local contractors. doesn't matter who it is. Mm -hmm. um, if you go to Dulles Airport, because that thing was, I'm pretty sure, designed by somebody on peyote, you go from gate to gate by these huge trams that are like up in the air. It's absolutely ridiculous, right? But it's operated by the airport to go from carrier to carrier, and they all share in the cost, moving their people around. But when it comes to cargo, for the most part, that's the last thing anybody wants to do. There isn't, um, there's not a lot of, of trust amongst the carriers because let's face it, there's money to be made by sticking it to one of the other ones. And having better infrastructure 
supposedly is going to make you better off than other people. A great bad example of this would be London Heathrow Airport, which has yet to really overcome all the great automation and expensive automation that went into cargo operations. Uh, that's still, you know, just for BA and nobody else. It's just absolutely nuts. It's bananas how poorly operated that thing is. But there are other air carriers outside of BA who do just fine in other parts of the airport because they're not beholden to that particular type of cargo um, machinations. It's just a great example, Doug, how cooperation could do so much for us, how infrastructure, ailing old infrastructure is breaking down, and how we should probably be able to come up with some way to use better technology and better processes built on working with one another rather than trying to make it some secret sauce for the white carrier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, the two things there, Pete, that jumped out at me is, one, we've talked about it. It's a microcosm of connectors, right? Our logistics and supply chain has a lot of little pieces that need to collect together. And if you're an integrated service provider like FedEx, UPS, and, and others, you can control that uh, technology a little bit easier. But whenever you have all these different components at the airport, does that guy work for the airline? Does he work for the airport? Is it a third-party contractor? It's so just just disconnected. Yeah. Um, having technology to overlay it so there's clear visibility is, is, is a challenge. And the other thing, which is just more, I don't know if it's seasonal, but just happened is that with all of the craziness with the airlines over the holidays and, and, and delays, that makes national news. And that means that they're going to prioritize humans baggage. You know, a, a, yeah. a, my suitcase that has my present for my grandmother in it is going to get priority <laughs> yeah. over you know, a box that's in the back that needs to get to a hospital that nobody's going to hear about if it doesn't make it there in time. Both are very important. I'm not trying to diminish one or the other, but the news media has has dominated, um, you know, the, the baggage handling. And, it, and I think this is my personal opinion. I've been flying more recently than I have in the past is that make sure my bag gets out and I can pick it up uh, on the uh, carousel ASAP. And so that's where the focus uh, has been on the on the ground, so to speak. We can't forget mail too, Doug. You know, that's a, it always takes, takes priority. US mail. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Doug, take us home, buddy. All right. So um, I wanted to know, so Pete, I, I don't know. I was just trying to come up with funny saying. So the FMSCA, I think is finally starting to take an approach that's not like Oprah, the Oprah Winfrey show, whenever she says you get a car and you get a car and you get a car. Seems like there was a time where the FMSCA was throwing out waivers to hours of service, like Oprah chucks out cars in her into her audience. So there's some proposed changes, right? That's out there, which I pretty much agree uh, with all of them. One of which is redefining the term emergency, right? So this whole thing is like, when can can the FM, FMSCA be able to designate an emergency to? pull hours of service because I've made a comment before that says rules are important to follow until they're no longer convenient. Oh, Doug. Um, and so they're redefining what the term of emergency means. And one of the big ones is it doesn't apply to economic conditions mm -hmm. naturally caused by market fluctuations, right? Um, it's going to be defined more as direct assistance, which I don't know, the wording sounds a little less catastrophic direct assistance versus emergency, who knows? Um, the one thing that is interesting to me is that if the feds declare um, a direct assistance requirement where hours of service can be um, extended, 
that's for a duration of 30 days. But if a governor does it, um, it only extends for five days. Now, mostly governors are doing it for, for catastrophic floods, fires, um, hurricanes, uh, earthquakes, things of that nature. And five days doesn't really do it because the aid is needed after the event is over. And, um, and that can take weeks, right? So I think it's a little bit naive to say, well, the state is now five days, the government's now 30 days. Um, so it's interesting. So I applaud uh, the FMSCA for uh, taking a, uh, uh, changing their Oprah Winfrey approach to uh, throwing out hours of service waivers, except for that five-day one. I think they need to revisit that or empower the states to be able to extend those longer than five days. But Anyway, I like it, um, and I applaud him for uh, for making those uh, proposed changes. So, so, Doug, this was one of the few instances that I could point to post-pandemic where someone looked at, how, looked at how things were during the pandemic and said, we can do so much better, and we need to look at the, the rules and the, the self-imposed restrictions that we have on ourselves and say, is this really the right direction for us? And a lot, and a lot of it, as you said, was based on the fact that COVID was such a, a hammer blow to uh, to our industry and the, the truckers and all the rest of it. I couldn't come up with really any other place in logistics where they've codified anything, put it in regulation, um, you know, changed something specific. This may be the only one. So that being said, I I applaud, I golf clap the decision. And I think that maybe their cousins and other federal regulatory agencies should take a look at this and say, what can we do as a bit of self-analysis to say, we can do this better the next time problems come because we're better set up to react to it. We're better set up to deal with it before it becomes a bigger problem. So you got to give them credit. They've done something pretty important right here and hopefully it sets the tone for other agencies. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Nice. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us on this post Mardi Gras Pete clearly needs a nap edition of Global Trade this week. Um, brought to you as always by our good friends at Global Trade, at, uh, pardon me, at Cap Logistics. And we thank them again, not only for their financial support, but for constantly supporting us with the show. Please tell your friends. Uh, please subscribe. We are both on podcasts and on YouTube now. So you, there's really no excuse not to just really embrace the, the Doug and Pete experience. And thank you as mm-hmm. always to Keenan back in the booth, conditioning his hair, eating gorp. We love you, Keenan. And we uh, we love all you too. And we'll see you again on another great edition of Global Trade this week. Thanks, Doug. That's right. That's right. Thanks, Pete. Take care, everybody. Bye.